Hello, all my beautiful birds, and welcome to today's episode. So this episode today is all about finding your purpose after uh, a breakup. And this is for everyone who's gone through a breakup, whether you were the one that ended the relationship or whether you were the one that was dumped and you are struggling and it feels really painful because, I mean, you can also be struggling and finding it really painful if you're the one that ended it too. But it covers it from both angles, what I'm about to talk about, because sometimes my breakup episodes are targeted to if you've been the one who's, you know, who's been left and you feel like you've got no control and sometimes it's the other way around. This targets everything. You can apply it to other situations, but to be honest, it, it is more targeted to romantic relationships in general. So that is the topic of today. There's a lot that I want to cover in that. I'm going to talk about why it is that you feel like you've lost your sense of identity when a relationship breaks down. I'm going to cover why that is. And then I'm going to talk about what you can do and um, t- in order to find your purpose and why it is so important to find a purpose, and I'll go into different kinds of purposes, um, after a relationship. Uh, I'm also going to go into a brain fact. I don't have a life update right now. Oh, oh, okay. The life update is that the merch is literally just right here. It's so close to being released. The reason it's taken, the stock is all here. It's fucking here, ready to go. The reason it's taken a bit longer is because I'm currently porting over websites and crossing it over. It's pretty much done. We're just testing things out to make sure there's no glitches or nothing's going to happen. Um, and that like the process goes smoothly and we should hopefully, I mean, you're listening to this on, uh, I'm recording this a few days earlier. So I think it's like Friday 17th, um, of March, but hopefully it's out within, within a week. My, my, honestly, my right-hand man, Maddie, might kill me for saying that if we're not ready, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's where we're at. Anyway, let's get straight into the brain fact of today. The brain fact of today is neuropeptide Y, okay? Neuropeptide Y. It's the name of a particular neuropeptide. And I'm going to speak about its links to fat gain and also reducing anxiety. There's a lot that goes on with neuropeptide Y. So let's talk about it. Firstly, what are neuropeptides? Neuropeptides are chemical messengers. Peptides are chemical messengers. Neuro in the brain. So you've got peptides, you've got neuropeptides. Okay, so chemical messengers. And they're made up of chains of amino acids, which are proteins, and they are made and released by certain neurons. Okay, they act on other neurons in the brain, but they also um, act in other areas of the body, such as your muscles, your heart, your gut, etc. Now, neuropeptide Y is a particular kind of neuropeptide, believe it or not. Who would have thought? And it plays a role in a lot of things, okay? So this particular neuropeptide is a strain of 36 amino acids, and it is one of the most abundant neuropeptides in the brain. It is very, very common in the brain, very popular in the brain and the central nervous system, which is your brain, your brainstem and your spinal cord. And it's also, it's really important for the homeostasis or homeostatic processes within your central nervous system and also in your peripheral nervous system. Now in the brain, because the central nervous system, like I said, brain, brainstem, spinal cord, central is that peripheral is all the nerves extending out of that. But within the brain, it's involved in increasing your food intake. It's involved in the storage of energy, reducing stress. It's really good for reducing anxiety, uh, reducing pain perception, 
And interestingly, it's involved in reducing voluntary alcohol consumption. Okay, so your choice to consume alcohol. If you've got higher levels of neuropeptide Y, it reduces that. Uh, it's also involved in your cognitive function, regulating your sleep, so you've got a better sleep pattern, um, energy level maintenance, and stress response. So a lot. It is secreted, as in like it is, it is released by neurons within the hypothalamus, a part of the brain. And the neurons that secrete this neuropeptide Y is called AGRP. NPY neurons, lol, long name. And they are first stimulated. So these neurons, these AGRP, NPY neurons are first stimulated by other hormones from all kinds of, all areas of the body. So for example, your intestines are one of the hormones that they're secreted. Your intestines secrete certain hormones and they stimulate this particular neuron, which then releases this neuropeptide. So once released, this neuropeptide Y, NPY, I'm going to refer to it as interchangeably, it binds to receptors of other neurons. Okay, so I've spoken about it before. Your neuron, you've got all these receptors on the membrane surface of the neuron and the receptors are what kind of then open or close certain channels and allow influx of, you know, various things. It could be an influx of potassium, sodium, ions, etc. But they bind to these receptors on the neuron, of, of the next neuron, and these receptors are called Y receptors. And there's several receptors involved, but right now I'm going to talk about Y receptor 1 and 5 and because these ones are the main ones that are involved with hunger promotion. So there was a study that was done in a mice model where the mice that were exposed to NPY gained more weight compared to the control groups of those that were not exposed to NPY when they were supplied with as much food as they could have. So it came down to a regulation of how much food intake you're having. If the intake was restricted to the same portions as the control group that were not administered higher levels of this neuropeptide Y, then there was no extra weight gain. So it's saying that it's not got to do with how your body processes the food and is it causing, you know, different levels of things to happen in your body to cause weight gain with the same intake of food. It is just causing a higher intake of food or energy, if you want to call it. So it was causing a higher level of hunger or a slower rate in feeling satisfied. And in the textbook of endo endocrinology, uh, it's stated that when these neurons are activated in certain studies, animal model studies, they found a strong link to – so when they're overactivated, when you've got a much higher increase than normal of this neuropeptide Y, they found a strong um, link to increased food intake and then due to that increase in body weight. But they also found that when they ablated these neurons – um, it resulted in anorexia in these animals. So it's the two extremes. And this might be explained with how NPY interacts with leptin and ghrelin. So the hormone leptin, which helps naturally, um, it, it's a satiety modulator, which in, interacts with NPY and inhibits these neurons and therefore it moderates your satiety. You don't feel hungry anymore. And ghrelin, which is the fast-acting hormone, activates these neurons to encourage food or energy intake. So you might have heard of leptin and ghrelin hormones before. Leptin 
being the satiety or the fullness hormone and ghrelin being the hunger hormone. So there is an interaction between these hormones and how they regulate the release of NPY. Now, separate to its role in weight gain or in, you know, increased food intake, there was also a link to anxiety. And researchers did a test with mice and they found that when they increased the levels of NPY in mice, so they did this controlled study where they had a control group and the test group one, where they injected every mice, so the everything in the injection was the same minus one group had NPY in it and the other one was just being injected with you know everything but NPY. They found that the NPY mice were not receptive to anxiety. So they would put them in stressful environments and mice tend to be tend to like being in small enclosed spaces. If they're out in the open, they're normally scrambling to get to the next location. That's just embedded in their DNA basically because they're, you know, they're prey. So they're always trying to find these dark little spaces. When they injected them with NPY, they found that they would be in these normally stressful environments and spend, you know, whether it's in this open environment or whether out on a ledge trying to get food on this like long ledge and they're not scared at all, they have no anxiety around it versus the ones that did not get administered NPY. Um, Those mice did not want to spend any time in the anxiety-provoking areas. They prefer to spend more time in their like normal corners and stuff like that. In other studies, they found that people with post-traumatic stress disorder have lower levels occurring of NPY than other control groups of people that don't have PTSD. And studies were done on combat veterans and they found that those who had PTSD but then got over their PTSD through different means had higher levels of NPY than combat veterans that never had PTSD and didn't have to then get over PTSD. So it showed that overcoming post-traumatic stress disorder or other associated anxiety disorders could actually be attributed to a bit of a rise in neuropeptide Y levels. Uh, Additionally, some studies have also found that there was like there was a study that was done on three groups, people that had naturally high levels of NPY, people that had moderate levels and people that had low levels. And those that had low levels – had a more negative experience to a stress challenge or a pain challenge. And they one of the things that they did, amongst many things, was that they did fMRI, like imaging studies on the brain. And they found that the group that had low levels of MPY had a more active response when they saw a negative word versus a neutral word. So they would have neutral words, negative words, whatever you would consider a negative word to be. But their response to negative words was a lot more intense than people with moderate or high levels of NPY. So it impacts perceived stress. So the the stressor or the actual the actual stimulus could be the same and it is dependent on the individual of how stressful it's going to be. And I, I mean that should be common knowledge, but it's really interesting to see how this specific neuropeptide and the amounts of the neuropeptide present within the central nervous system can actually determine how you perceive a stressor and how much it's going to affect you and how it's going to induce anxiety or actually limit the amount of anxiety that you're feeling around that stressor. So what determines your levels of MPY? Genetics does play a huge role in it. 
but also for people that are wanting to actually raise their levels of NPY when they have, you know, an anxiety disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, then this can be taken as a supplement. So it can be taken intranasally and it's found as quite an effective treatment for stress disorders as well. Uh, But yeah, genetics do play a big role in those levels of MPY and your hormone releases as well if you look at how ghrelin and leptin interact with all of that. So it is quite dependent on your genetics Um, but there are other interventions that you can do. So that is the brain fact of today, a bit of, um, you know, pharmacology, chemical chat, which I love. Anyway, let's get straight into the topic of today. All right, so finding your purpose after a breakup. First, let's talk about why does it feel so hard to do this? I want you to understand why you feel the way that you feel. So that way it's easier for you to understand how to approach it and what you can do about it. It's really important to have some insight into yourself and why you feel the way you feel because you learn so much about yourself. You learn to become patient with yourself. You learn to be kinder to yourself if you can understand what is causing you to feel a certain way. I think a lot of people will just feel a certain way, get annoyed at themselves that they're not getting better but not really helping themselves get better because they're impatient or annoyed that then they'll just engage in pacifying behaviors and behaviors that might not actually be helpful for their overall recovery when you're talking about mental health or even physical health, okay? So let's talk about why does it feel so hard? The first thing is your identity is linked to this person, okay? Your identity is such a big part of your thoughts, your everyday thoughts, and you don't realize it often, but it's this subconscious thing. And your identity is comprised of so much. It's of course your physical body. It's it's your abilities, your belief system, how you look, your friends, your family, and of course your romantic relationship. And the things that take up more of your time form a big part of your identity. That's why a lot of people, when they meet someone new, the first question is, what do you do for work? Because they feel like you spend 40 fucking hours a week doing this thing. It's going to tell me a lot about you. Whether it does or doesn't, doesn't matter. But people instantly think, If something takes up a big part of your life, it must equate to forming a big chunk of who you are as a person. So when you're in a relationship, that person is likely one of the people that you spend the most time with, if not the person that you spend the most time with. So in your own head, you're thinking, this person is a huge part of my identity. Not only do I spend so much time with them and do I bounce off them, but I've chosen and every day choose to be with this person. So it is an ident- it's a part of my identity that I have chosen and created, okay? So when this person then is gone out of your life, whether it's because you had to end it for many, many, many reasons, or whether they've left your life, it ends up feeling like you've got this big void in your identity. So you feel like you have, like you feel like you struggle to find your purpose because often people feel like a big part of their happiness and their entertainment and their social life included their partner. So they never really thought about this purpose. They just had this partner and they were enjoying their journey through life and they were in, you know, Um, they were invested in their partner's life and vice versa. This partner then is now no longer in their life. So a lot of people have this big dip in their identity and because of your dip in your identity, you have a dip in your sense of purpose. Not everyone, but if you're listening to this episode, then likely you may have experienced this in the past or you're currently experiencing this, okay? So obviously not everyone goes through this. The next thing is that your idea of your future includes this person. So you now have to restructure 
your whole concept of what your future is going to look like because this person's no longer in it. Whether you like it or not, whether you consider yourself a present person or not, you do dedicate a lot of your energy into thinking about your future, whether it's conscious or subconscious, whether you want to or whether you don't. Of course you do. You think about what you're having for dinner. You think about the holiday that you want to go on. Whether you're stressing or whether you're thinking about happy things, you have a concept, an image of what your future is going to look like in the near future and in the distant future. This person is now gone, out of your life, or at least relationship-wise, they're no longer your partner. And these ideas that you had of maybe where you're living, where you were going to move to, what your social life is going to look like, how going to an event would be like, oh my God, that holiday that we booked, and now, you know, oh my God, family, Christmases, your whole future, you now have to restructure what your future looks like without your partner in it. And you might not have realized how much you already included your partner into your future plans until they're no longer in your future plans. And then it's this whole restructure and that's really difficult to get a grip on. So that's another reason why it's so difficult. Another thing is your past, your memories of your recent past and depending how long the relationship was, your not so recent past and the emotions wrapped up in your past often will include your partner whether directly or indirectly. You could go on a holiday that didn't include your partner, but you were dating the person at the time and you remember thinking about them when you were there, buying them a gift, the long phone calls that you would have, all of that. So a lot of your memories of your past are brushed over with with your relationship as well. They're kind of colored or I don't know, I can't think of the word, but kind of washed over with memories of your partner as well, whether they were there or whether they were not there. When you think of your past, and here's a really good one. When you think about a time in your life, if, you've some, if you're someone that's had more than one relationship, if you think about a time in your life, one of the first memories that comes to mind is like, oh yeah, that's when I was in a relationship with this person, especially if it was a, you know, a meaningful one, one that mattered to you. So you think back, oh yeah, 2015, yeah, oh, that's right. That's when I was dating this person and we were living here or that's when we went on this holiday. They really help become markers of times in your life. So when the relationship ends, you think, oh my God, I've got all these memories with this person. And it's not, not necessarily that you want to delete those memories, but it's really hard. You're thinking, now I've got to form all these brand new memories and they're not going to be in it. Then they're going to get further and further away from me as far as memories are concerned. And then another reason why it's so hard is because likely, maybe not, but likely your social circles overlap or you might still have them as a major presence in your life. It could be socially, it could be online or even much closer, it could be in person where you work together or even closer where you have children together. So there's many reasons why you're going to find it really difficult to find your purpose as an individual after you break up with someone who you loved. And it's really hard to completely detach yourself from this person if you are in situations where you actually cannot completely remove them from your life. And when I say completely remove someone from your life, they don't have to be a bad person for you to feel like you need to remove them. Some people think, oh, no, I need to be the bigger person and I need to, you know, just be civil around them. No, you don't. Okay. Fair enough if you've got kids, if there's situations where you absolutely have to navigate your life around this new circumstance. But if you don't have an absolute need to have this person in your life, you don't have to feel like you need to be the bigger person to keep them in your life, okay? Your mental health is more important than that. Your mental health is more important than their opinion of you once you've broken up. If they think, oh my God, I can't believe they blocked me, congratulations, think that, go ahead, enjoy it. Go have a sip on a fucking tea. And think about how I blocked you and how shocking that is. Who 
cares? If it's good for your mental health and if you need some respite from all that and from being, you know, from seeing them on social media, block them if that's what helps you, okay? You don't have to be the quote-unquote bigger person. There's no bigger person. Just just do what's right for your mental health. Personally, I don't know. I, f- I actually see it as a bit of self-sabotage when you don't actually need to have your ex in your life, yet you follow them on Instagram and here you are just scrolling through social media and you get you ambush yourself by like, bang, there's a photo of your ex when you didn't expect it. And uh, like, oh, just honestly, don't do it to yourself. I just cannot say one, one good thing that, that can come of that. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. What I'm saying is that those are the reasons why it's so hard. And something that you want to think about is your identity. Okay. Your identity is very heavily, like I said at the start, it's tied to your partner, whether you like it or not, it is at least the moment after you break up. But your identity is ever evolving. But many facets of that ever-evolving identity feel like they're cemented in. They feel like they may, they might be like unalterable. They can't be changed. This is just who I am. Oh, it's just who I am. This whole take it or leave it, that's just me. That's just me. Fuck off. I hate, I hate that so much. But anyway, some people think that parts of their identity cannot be changed. But almost every part of your life can be changed. Almost. Just take a look at your life a few years ago. It might be two years ago. It might be six years ago, 10 years ago. It doesn't matter. Pick a time in your life that feels like a lifetime ago for you, depending on what's occurred in between. And just look at how much of your day-to-day reality has changed when you compare it from now to back then. Your morning routine, your style, how you look the people that you would hang out with on a weekly basis, how you would socialize, the suburb that you lived in, the jobs that you had, the, your, your, what you liked to look at, the films that you liked to watch, the TV shows that you were into at the time, um, the, your local place to go get coffee, your interests, your hobbies. I'm sure that one of those things that I mentioned, if not some, if not all, are different now than they were five or ten years ago. Whether you like it or not, you are constantly evolving constantly evolving. Everything's flexible. Everything keeps moving. But when you go through a breakup, you feel frozen in time. This idea that it feels like everything stayed the same, but now there's a void. Now this person is not in my life and it hurts and you don't know what to make of yourself. You don't know what to make of your identity and it's really painful. And if you focus on this feeling of a void, it's almost as if like that void gets bigger and bigger. It's kind of like social anxiety as an example. Sometimes when you fo- the focus is too heavily on the self and yourself and what you're feeling and what you're going through, sometimes it causes those things to expand because like attracts like. So like I said, let's look at social anxiety as an example. When someone has social anxiety, one of their main focuses is on the symptoms that are happening within their body. Like they'll start to feel these symptoms and they think that everyone else can see them as well. Like, oh my God, my face is bright fucking red. I must look like a lobster. My heart is racing. So then the heart starts racing. Oh my God, everyone's looking at me. And like, it's very overwhelming. It's extremely intense. So you start thinking about your physical symptoms. You're thinking about them more and more to the extent that it's difficult for you to be engaging with other people because it's this overwhelming sensation that happens. Okay. And all the people around you might not even notice and probably are not judging you. Maybe, but probably not. Right. But here you are focusing on all the bad that you can't even see if other people are not judging you 
or if they are, they're just probably just minding their own business really or worried about other things that don't include you. And if you look at someone's reaction, you might think it's toward you, but it might be about something completely different. When there's nothing that you're engaging with, excited about, that feels like a driving force outside of you and your current reality is not going well, then all you have to focus on is that you start to internalize everything. You're focusing on your feelings. You're focusing on that void and that void starts getting bigger and bigger because like attracts like thoughts and it starts getting worse and worse and worse. And if nothing's changing and causing you to work to adapt and learn and grow, then it feels even more still. It feels so still that you feel like you're going backwards when in reality you're just staying where you are, but the world is passing you by while you're in this world of pain and this void and feeling like you don't really have an identity or that your identity has completely changed and, you know, and was partially in that person. I want you to think about a purpose as something that is outside of you. When you talk about having a purpose, it has got to do with you doing something outside of yourself for something or someone else. That is a purpose. It's your connection to the outside and what you're doing about that connection and how it makes you feel. But a purpose also has to benefit you. It benefits you and it benefits others. If it's not benefiting you, then it's not a purpose. It has to give you a sense of fulfillment, a reason for being, a, a, a why, If you are just doing something to benefit someone else and you're not benefiting, then that's you being a martyr, okay? And you being a martyr and only helping others while not helping yourself is not a purpose. So there's a difference. So what can you do about it? What can you do to find your purpose after a relationship? We've spoken about the why. We've spoken about why it is that you feel that way and kind of what a purpose is defined as. But what can you do? I was actually listening to a podcast episode on the Diary of a CEO. It's a great podcast. That's my recommendation for you if you want a good podcast to listen to. It's all interviews with some great stories. And obviously, you kind of pick the stories that resonate with you and listen to them because he interviews a whole range of people. But he was interviewing this guy, this psychiatrist, a man named Steve Peters, and he was telling a very, very interesting story. He was speaking about a patient he had when he first started out being a psychiatrist as a doctor. And he had a patient who did not like herself at all. She did not like how she looked like and it really, really affected her and it's kind of all what she focused on. And if we've all, if you've ever been through something like that or something similar, not, it doesn't have to be about how you, you know, think about what you look like, but something you really don't like about yourself can be quite consuming and it can kind of bleed into all other areas of your life. Yeah, your life. So this woman was really, really, she struggled a lot with that. She really did not like what she looked like and it affected her mental health a lot. He then just through conversation discovered that she loved animals. So he found that that was a true passion of hers, animals. And so he thought he would just try something a bit different and he asked her to look after or become responsible for a cat and some birds that were on the ward. And because she loved animals so much, she really gladly accepted this task. She then became really involved in ensuring that the birds and the cat were looked after properly and had a good life. And he said in this interview that he saw a completely different person kind of emerge from that, someone that was completely different to the other version that he was used to working with. She gained a purpose 
and her attention went from how she felt about herself and what she looked like in the mirror and she moved that attention to something outside of her, something bigger, which was to help. And because she loved animals so much, it was this two-way thing. She was able to create love for these animals and she had this daily thing that she, you know, she would do to care for these animals. I don't know the ins and outs of what she did for these animals, but she had this daily purpose now, which was outside of herself helping these animals. She got to interact with these animals. And her focus went from how she looked and how she felt about herself and her current reality to feeling like she was genuinely contributing. She felt that she could help and that it was helping and that these animals needed her and needed love and she was able to have, like, give them love and receive love from them. And her self-esteem came back. So she, he, he, the way he explains it is he gave her a purpose and she found her self-esteem. When you have a sense of purpose and especially finding your sense of purpose – really brings back your self-esteem. And when you are struggling after a breakup, when you're trying to rebuild yourself after a breakup, self-esteem might actually be one of those things that wavers the most for you, especially if you feel like you can't get someone as good as that ever again. I think that's a lot of fear that a lot of people carry after a breakup. You think whether you broke up or whether you were broken up with, you think, this fear, I'm never going to get someone like that person again. Whether they were brilliant or whether they were an absolute wanker, it's a very common feeling that you're going to feel. And when you say that to yourself, especially on repeat, and I've been there, I'm sure many of us have where we feel that way, you're basically telling yourself that in a nutshell, if I can't ever get someone like this again, you're kind of subliminally telling yourself that person was too good for me. So they were kind of with me by chance and now I'm sure that there is no one of that caliber out there who would date me. That's what you're kind of saying. When you say, I'll never get someone like that again, you're kind of saying, I can't attract someone like that again. I don't have, I don't have what it takes to attract someone of that caliber again, which is not true. Unless you're an absolute toxic degenerate and that person was lovely, you probably can attract someone as good as that person or maybe better in the sense of better suited for you. You know, I don't like to compare, oh, that person's, you know, better than that person but a lot of the time you'll find someone who's equally as le- equally as legendary but better suited for you so when you go through a breakup and your self-esteem wavers and you have this void and you're struggling to find a sense of purpose outside of your old life you have to it's imperative that you take on something new to help you through that recovery process when you have something to do something that you're engaged in it really helps pull things into perspective and push other things out of your perspective. For example, when someone you love leaves on a holiday, you always miss them more than what they miss you. Why? Because that person is now surrounded by an entire new reality and new things in their awareness. And there's all these new things going on in their awareness that it's pulling things in and out of their perspective all the time. They have adapting to do. They've got, they're learning new experiences. They're, they're meeting new people. They're gaining all this like richness in their awareness, right? And while of course they miss you, it's not occupying their mind the way it's occupying the person who stayed at home the way it's occupying their mind. If you're just chilling at home and your partner's gone off on a trip or your best friend's gone off on a trip, who you say all the time, and they've left for a couple of weeks, 
and you don't do anything else in that time where you'd normally hang out with your best friend or your partner or whoever it is that you're thinking about, if you don't replace that time with another activity that you could be doing and you're just sitting there, then the void feels so much more, doesn't it? You sit there being like, oh, we would normally be doing this. We'd normally be going here. We'd, you know, and you'd start thinking about all the things that you could have done or you used to do. Of course, because there's a void. They're gone there. Meanwhile, they're off on holidays, living their fucking best life. And of course they care about you and they miss you, but it's not the same. And it's a lot more painful for the person that stays versus the one that's on the adventure because they've got more going on in their awareness. They're learning, they're experiencing, and it's they've got a purpose every single day. When you're on a holiday, you've got shit to see and shit to do. It's exciting, right? So use that analogy with a breakup. If your relationship breaks down, are you the one on the adventure or are you the one sitting at home focusing on the void of when, oh, we used to watch this TV show together, we used to do this together? Are you the one bringing new experiences into your life or are you focusing on the void? You have to bring new experiences into your awareness so that gap, that chunk that feels empty only takes up a little part of your attention and your attention is going to go there, obviously, especially when it's fresh, but it's not going to engulf your entire awareness. It's not about forgetting your partner, but it's making it so your partner is no longer your entire reality and eating up all your conscious thoughts. This also goes for if they're in your life or if they're not in your life. If, you're, if you have kids with a partner and your partner leaves you and they're now dating somebody else and you now have to not only see your partner all the time, but your kids involved, so you've got to see them happy in a new relationship, that's fucking hard. I've, I haven't been in that specific scenario because I don't have children, but that is hard. And if nothing changes in your reality, then it's going to be even harder for you. I've got people in my extended family bless their souls, who have mourned a divorce for decades. Decades. What the fuck? Something has got to give and it better not be your mental health and it better not be your happiness. When things break down and when things happen that you're like, fuck, this is the worst case scenario. The person I loved has left me, they're with someone else and I have to see them all the time because we've got kids together or a scenario that seems just as intense as that or more, whatever you want to imagine, when something like that happens, yes, it's fucked. Yes, you spend the initial time period, you know, feeling the pain that you're feeling, but then you've got to think, what am I going to do about it now? Because if I keep trying to live the same reality as I'm living and not much has changed other than the fact that this drama has occurred, then that is my focus. So instead, you need to find a purpose outside of that. I have a whole episode on purpose, but I'm going to kind of recap roughly the main points here. Your purpose does not have to be something absolutely enormous where you're creating this new charity that's going to save the world. That is not what your purpose has to be. Your purpose has to be something that involves connection with others. And like this example that I spoke about with the psychiatrist, Steve Peters, it could be animals, doesn't have to be humans, but connection to a source of energy, other people or animals. But you want to be looking at purpose as connection. When you think about a purpose, you think, how am I receiving connection? That is, that is the thing that makes people happier, feel a sense of purpose, feel like they're growing, and also increase their self-esteem when they have a true connection with other people or animals. But let's talk about other people here. So your purpose now, you've got to think, instead of loading the word purpose with so much responsibility, thinking, oh, it's this like this thing outside of me have to basically be Buddha. No, 
make it smaller and think what's just something little that I can do where I gain but someone else also gains. And it doesn't have to be for free if you don't want it to be. It doesn't have to be. Like my podcast is my purpose. I've, I connect with my audience, blah, 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 blah. It's all well and good, but it's my job, okay? But it doesn't have to be, okay? It can, it cannot. It's up to you. I've already mentioned this a million times, but your purpose could start off really basic just because you've got to learn what the feeling of a purpose is. So to learn the feeling of purpose, make your purpose for the next week to make three absolute strangers smile just by smiling at them. And then the next week you want to make your purpose to be make three strangers smile by saying something to them, a compliment, giving them a gift of a compliment. And that's kind of going more outside of your comfort zone. And you're going to notice that when you do these things, you feel fucking good making them feel good. It feels good to make someone feel good. Okay. Then you want to start increasing that to something that you can grow on. So could that purpose be, I'm going to start teaching people how to X, whether it's I'm going to teach disadvantaged children how to drive or whether it's I'm going to have a fucking tutorial online where I charge people money and I'm going to start teaching them this. Okay. So like I said, money or not, it doesn't matter. It's got to benefit you and it's got to benefit somebody else. It's got to be this thing that after you do it, you feel fulfilled. You shouldn't do it and then be like, I'm fucking drained. I'm exhausted. No one cares about me. No one listens to me. I fucking work my ass off for everyone else and I get nothing in return. That is absolutely not what you should feel like after doing this. So if you're always cleaning up after your family, can tell you right now, that's not your purpose. You might have to do it, not your purpose. Here's, a, here's an example for you. The uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was feeling quite overwhelmed and stressed, and I wasn't in like my normal routine. And I was like trying to get all this work done. I was working through emails, and my dog Habib kept coming up to me, placing his toy on my lap. And I'm like, "Oh, I can't play right now." I put it away. I kept placing the toy on my lap. Can't play right now. Anyway, I just start feel <laughs> felt a bit bad, and I was like, "Fuck!" I'm ignoring this beautiful creature. So I didn't take my headphones. I didn't take anything. I just I even left my phone at home, and I grabbed a tennis ball, the lead, and I went to just a patch of grass where it was just the two of us. And I started playing with Habib. I was playing fetch with him. And I kind of just sat there just to be, not listen to music, nothing. I didn't have any devices on me. And then Habib kind of was just rolling around in the grass. He was rolling, 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 and he was just so happy. And then I started feeling this massive sense of happiness and I started feeling like all my stresses were getting lighter and lighter and lighter. And I thought, why am I feeling just so much more, like my stress has gone down so much just in this, you know, 30 minute period. And I realized it's because I created a space where I was giving a dog, my dog, something that was making him really happy. And he was, you know, using up all his energy. He was going to be a tired, happy puppy at the end of the day. And he just, he, and I was just present watching that. And it was really fulfilling to him. So then it became really fulfilling for me. I was like, wow, I'm really contributing to his happiness right now. And I just felt like, oh, I just feel so good that by the time I got home, I'm like, I don't need to be focusing on those things right now. I'm going to be doing other things. And I just was able to, I just felt like in a much happier, more creative space. My attention went from my stresses to contributing to something that made me feel good while making something else, someone else feel good, which was my dog. So your purpose can be very basic, very basic, or it can be a bigger purpose as well. And you can have more than one purpose, by the way. But when you go through the breakdown of a relationship, your focus wants to be on what can I do that's going to make me feel good, that I can connect with other people to fill this void. 
If it's a charity, make it a charity. If you want to start teaching people something, start teaching people something. If you're really good at a skill, why don't you start teaching people that skill for money or for free? One of the things that makes me feel the best is teaching someone something that they need help with, if, if I can help, obviously. That's, that makes me feel fucking amazing. So you've got to ask yourself, this is the criteria you've got to hit. Is there connection? Yes. Are they benefiting? Is this person benefiting or animal? Yes. Am I feeling fulfilled? Yes. Is it something that the more I do, the better I feel? Yes. Every time I engage in this, does it pull my attention away from my stresses? In other words, does it make me stop thinking so much about how I look or how I, you know, feel like unvalidated because of my relationship breaking down or because I don't feel as worthy anymore because my relationship broke down? Does it pull me out of that feeling and make me feel like there's something bigger outside of those feelings? Yes, tick. Okay. So like the example of that woman taking care of the animals, like the example of me walking Habib, when you create something outside of yourself for something outside of yourself, you start to feel better about yourself. And when you start feeling really good within yourself and when your self-esteem goes up because you're contributing to something outside of yourself, then that's when you start to feel a true sense of purpose every single time you wake up. And when that purpose is strong enough, that void from the relationship breakdown will get smaller and smaller and smaller. You are literally replacing, you've got this void here and you're doing something about it. Because you don't want it just to fill up with random shit because that's when people start replacing it with potentially unhelpful other relationships or unhelpful behaviors or things that might seem fun in the, in the moment but then long-term aren't really that fun, you know, permanently. For example, going on a bender all the time. Go on a bender, by all means, have a good time. But don't replace your relationship with that because then you're doing that and it's completely skewed and you're doing that way more than you normally would have been doing. Okay, you don't want to be replacing a relationship with unhealthy behaviors that's not going to be good for your mental or your physical health. Guys, that is the episode for today. I hope you found that interesting. Um, we're going to go straight into a listener question. And just a quick reminder, if you did want to send in a listener question, it's at info at dyfmpod.com. Okay, so the listener question of today. Hi, Alexis. My boyfriend and I are currently starting out at university. Now is the best time to grow individually, but I find it hard to focus on whilst being in a relationship. What advice would you give for growing as an individual while still being able to be in a relationship? I love the podcast. It has saved my mental health. Love, lots of love from Scotland. Amazing. Okay, great question. I feel like if you are, I'm, I'm presuming that you are quite young. I'm presuming you are late teens, early 20s, that kind of age. Um, and this is a really, 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 really good question to ask because I think a lot of people are in this pickle of looking at kind of the beginning of the rest of their lives at this point. You know, there's a, I feel like when you leave high school and you enter university, whether you've had a gap year or not, you're looking at it being like, wow, I'm about to embark on this massive journey. And there's a lot of things that are going to change within you, not just within your life, but also within your identity. Things that you identify with will change. That's why it's obviously possible, but it's not that common that relationships last from high school 
all the way through till, you know, later on in life. And it's for that reason. It's because your identity goes through many evolutions in your lifetime, especially in your 20s. It goes through so many different evolutions that to find someone to go along with you on the journey where you are both still not only in love with each other, but still respect each other and still really align with each other while you're individually going through all these changes is just not that common. It happens and it's happened very successfully for a, for a bunch of people, but it's just not common, okay? So to have this kind of fear or question in your mind is perfectly natural and perfectly normal. But my advice to you in this scenario would be, or, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of questions that are going to get you to ask yourself, but it's, you've got to ask yourself, am I able to really put myself as a priority during this time in my life? I mean, you should always be your priority because if you're not taking care of yourself, how can you, you know, blossom in relationships and how can you be the best version of yourself to other people? But in this phase of your life, you really need to be giving yourself everything that it is that you need, you know, during your 20s. You've got to, you've, this is your fucking time, okay? This is your time. This is your time to grow, to learn, to make mistakes, to have things not work out for you and to learn what it, like to learn what it means to be hit down and to learn what it's like to bounce back. This is your time to learn independence, resilience, growth, how to let go of something that isn't for you. That's a huge thing to learn. You learn the value of a lesson, failure, success. You learn what a hard-earned win is. And of course, adventure and love, okay? So there's so much that happens in your 20s. And all this can happen later on in life. But in your 20s, you're more daring, you're more vulnerable, you're, you're more likely to put yourself out there on a limb for many reasons, even developmental and, and you know, biological reasons, you're more likely to do this in your 20s. Of course, you can do it later. But this is the time where most people are going to go through those experiences, okay? And so much happens in your 20s that by the time you reach your 30s, you think, okay, wow, now I really know who I am or now I'm starting to really understand who I am. I remember when I was in my 20s and I'd hear a lot of people say, you know, there's this fear of getting older. I felt older at 24 than I did that I do now at 33, nearly 34. And I think it's because in my 20s, there's just so much going on. And so, and I feel like I was, didn't really know exactly what I wanted or what I didn't want. I was comparing myself to where everyone else were, was and their relationships and this and that. And people who were in their 30s would say to me, oh, wait till you hit 30. You'll love it. Best decade. It's unbelievable. You really know what you want. And I'm like, really? Because I'm going to be older then and I'm going to have less, you know, I just thought that that wouldn't be the case. And it's so true. When you hit your 30s, you have this much deeper understanding of who you are. And that, let alone 40s, 50s, 60s, I'm yet to get there, but I'm sure it gets better as far as self-awareness and, you know, self, you know, ideas of what you want and who you are. The idea of knowing who you are. It's a very exciting prospect, but you have to set it up for yourself in a way that you are able to learn that about yourself. So ask yourself this, can I do all of this while being in a relationship? And the answer might be yes. There are couples, young couples that are brilliant at it. They align with this idea that your 20s are your time to learn. It's a huge learning curve. And if you align with that and if you support each other through that but also allow for a crazy level of independence and individuality, then that relationship can actually be quite successful. 
because you have a person to bounce off. And if there's a if you're in a safe space of no judgment, it can actually be quite brilliant. And some people have done it very well. But like I said at the start, it's actually quite rare. Possible, just not common. Okay. So do you align and is it possible to do all these journeys while in a relationship with someone or are you with someone who, for lack of a better word, is a bit of a dead weight in the sense that they kind of make you feel like you are held down or dragged down in a place? And I can't only, you can answer that. I don't know what your relationship is like. I don't have any insight into your relationship, but that's what you've got to ask yourself. Are you with a partner who, if you were to say, babe, I really want to go to Southeast Asia for three months. Would they be like, oh, you know what? I reckon you've got to do this for yourself. You just do it. Or is your partner like, so you're leaving me. Does this mean it's the end of the relationship? Are we done? There's a huge difference. And if you feel that your partner won't be accepting of these things that you want to try, then you might be less likely to even try it because you don't even want to have the argument or you don't want to have this battle. So a lot of people resist taking a leap in the thing that their heart is really desiring because they don't want to rock the boat in the relationship. But sometimes you need to rock that boat, especially so young in the relationship, because sometimes you need to go on those adventures to learn more about life and yourself, okay? So another thing that you mentioned in your, in your email is that you know that it's the best time to grow individually, but you ha- find it hard to focus while being in a relationship. So why is it hard to focus on growing as an individual when you are in a relationship? Why can't you focus? Because I understand, obviously, when it's early stages of a relationship, you're in the texting stage, you're in the honeymoon phase, it's exciting. Your mind keeps thinking back to your partner. It's exciting. Okay. But once things have calmed down, and that should happen within, let's say, six months, less for some people, a bit more for others. But once that has calmed down, A truly healthy relationship should not actually be a distraction, but it should be a calming presence in your life. It should be kind of this calming, comfortable space, still exciting in its own right, but it should be this safe space, right? If you are years down the track in a relationship and your relationship is pulling focus from your personal areas in your life, there is a chance, and I'm not saying it definitely is, but there's a chance that that relationship is not healthy and that your partner is imposing their opinions and their beliefs on how you should act and behave and what you should do, that your awareness is taken up by trying to live by your partner's standards while trying to discover who you are as a person. And that's why it feels like you can't focus on yourself as an individual. If you are a truly, if, it's, if you've passed that excitement of the honeymoon stage and you're truly in a comfortable, healthy relationship, then it should not be pulling focus from your life as an individual. My ultimate answer to what you're going through is I think that there's a big part of you and many people who are entering university that crave this untapped freedom where you want this untapped level of of potential in every scenario that you face and this, this sense of adventure. And a lot of the time that does not align with having a partner in, in your mind, I'm not saying it does or doesn't. I'm saying people feel like that what they're craving doesn't align with being in a relationship. So there's a big chance that maybe this is you saying, I actually don't want to be in a relationship, but I feel, but you know, you probably think this person's a legend, so it feels hard to end it. So no answer is right. No answer is wrong. But What I am going to say is your journey as an individual at this stage of your life should absolutely be your priority. If the relationship is right, 
you will both come to the table and you'll both put in the effort to make it work. If one person is working hard, harder than the other or it, if it's just grinding your gears and the only reason you're staying with someone is because they're a nice person, then I think you've got your answer. Hopefully that helped. Hopefully that gave you a little bit of food for thought. Your number one priority though should absolutely be on your growth as an individual, okay? And that's how relationships either fall away or get stronger because as you grow as an individual, the right things get closer and the wrong things get further away. Hope that helped. Hope you got something out of it. Hope that other listeners got something out of that too. Anyway, love you so much and I will speak to you all next time. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.